Chapter Three, Part Two of a Short Account of the History of Mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a reading by Paul King, pjk.scripps.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A short account of the history of mathematics by W. W. Rouse Ball. Chapter 3. The Schools of Athens and Cyzicus, circa 420 B.C. to 300 B.C. Part 2. Plato. The next philosopher of the Athenian school who requires mention here was Plato, who was born in Athens in 429 B.C., he was as is well known a pupil for eight years of socrates and much of the teaching of the latter is inferred from plato's dialogues after the execution of his master in three ninety nine b c plato left athens and being possessed of a considerable wealth he spent some years travelling it was during this time that he studied mathematics he visited Egypt with Eudoxus, and Strabo says that in his time the apartments they occupied at Heliopolis were still shewn. Thence Plato went to Cyrene, where he studied under Theodorus. Next he moved to Italy, where he became intimate with Architas, the then head of the Pythagorean school, Eurytas of Metapontum, and Timaeus of Locri he returned to athens about the year three eighty b c and formed a school of students in a suburban gymnasium called the academy he died in three forty eight b c plato like pythagoras was primarily a philosopher and perhaps his philosophy should be regarded as founded on the pythagorean rather than on the socratic teaching at any rate it like that of the pythagoreans was coloured with the idea that the secret of the universe was to be found in number and in form hence as eudemus says he exhibited on every occasion the remarkable connection between mathematics and philosophy all the authorities agree that unlike many later philosophers he made a study of geometry or some exact science an indispensable preliminary to that of philosophy the inscription over the entrance to his school ran, Let none ignorant of geometry enter my door. And on one occasion, an applicant who knew no geometry is said to have been refused admission as a student. Plato's position as one of the masters of the Athenian mathematical school rests not so much on his individual discoveries and writings as on the extraordinary influence he exerted on his contemporaries and successors. Thus the objection that he expressed to the use of the construction of curves at, of any instruments other than rulers and compasses was at once accepted as canon which must be observed in such problems. It is probably due to Plato that subsequent geometricians began the subject with a carefully compiled series of definitions, postulates, and axioms. He also systematized the methods which could be used in attacking mathematical questions, and in particular directed attention to the value of analysis. The analytical method of proof begins by assuming that the theorem or problem is solved, and thence deducing some result. If the result be false, the theorem is not true, or the problem is incapable of solution.
if the result be known to be true and if the steps be reversible we get by reversing them a synthetic proof but if the steps are not reversible no conclusion can be drawn numerous illustrations of the method will be found in any modern textbook on geometry if the classification of the methods of legitimate induction given by mill in his work on logic had been universally accepted and every new discovery in science had been justified by reference to the rules laid down he would i imagine have occupied a position in reference to modern science somewhat analogous to that which plato occupied in regard to the mathematicians of his time almost the only extant instance of a mathematical theorem attributed to plato is the following which is traditionally assigned to him if CAB and DAB be two right angle triangles having one side AB in common, their other sides AD and BC parallel and their hypotenuses AC and BD at right angles then, if these hypotenuses cut in P, we have the ratio PC to PB is to PB to PA is to PA to PD. This theorem was used in duplicating the cube, for if such triangles can be constructed having PD equals 2 times PC, the problem will be solved. It is easy to make an instrument by which the figures can be drawn. Eudoxus Of Eudoxus, the third great mathematician of the Athenian school and the founder of that at Cyzicus, we know very little. He was born in Cnidus in 408 BC. Like Plato, he went to Tarentum and studied under Architas, the then head of the Pythagoreans. Subsequently, he travelled with Plato to Egypt and then settled at Cyzicus, where he founded the school of that name. Finally, he and his pupils moved to Athens. There he seems to have taken some part in public affairs and to have practised medicine but the hostility of Plato and his own unpopularity as a foreigner made his position uncomfortable, and he returned to Cyzicus or Cnidus shortly before his death. He died while on a journey to Egypt in 355 BC. His mathematical work seems to have been of a high order of excellence. He discovered most of what we know as the fifth book of Euclid, and proved it in much the same form as that of which it is there given. He discovered some theorems on what was called the golden section. The problem to cut a line AB in the golden section, that is, to divide it, say, at H, in extreme and mean ratio, that is, so that AB to AH equals the ratio AH to HB, is solved in Euclid 2.11, and was probably known to the Pythagoreans at an early date. If we denote AB by L, AH by A, and HB by B, the theorems that Eudoxus proved are equivalent to the following algebraical identities. Number 1. Quantity A plus 1 half L all squared equals 5 multiplied by quantity 1 half times L all squared. That's Euclid 13.1. Number two, conversely, if one be true, and AH be taken equal to A, then AB will be divided at H in the golden section. That's Euclid 13.2. Number three, 
quantity b plus one half a all squared equals five multiplied by quantity one half times a all squared euclid thirteen three number four l squared plus b squared equals three multiplied by a squared that's euclid thirteen four number five l plus a is to l as l is to a which gives another golden section and that's euclid thirteen five these propositions were subsequently put by euclid at the commencement of his thirteenth book but they might have been equally well placed toward the end of the second book all of them are obvious algebraically since l equals a plus b and a squared equals b times l eudoxus further established the method of exhaustions which depends on the proposition that if from the greater of two unequal magnitudes there be taken more than its half and from the remainder more than its half and so on there will at length remain a magnitude less than the least of the proposed magnitudes this proposition was placed by euclid as the first proposition of the tenth book of his elements but in most modern school editions it is printed at the beginning of the twelfth book by the aid of this theorem the ancient geometers were able to avoid the use of infinitesimals the method is rigorous but awkward of application a good illustration of its use is to be found in the demonstration of euclid twelve two namely that of the square of the radius of one circle is to the square of the radius of another circle as the area of the first circle is to the area of which is neither less nor greater than the area of the second circle and which therefore must be exactly equal to it the proof given by euclid as was usual is completed by a reductio ad absurdum eudoxus applied the principle to shew that the volume of a pyramid or a cone is one-third that of the prism or cylinder of the same base and the same altitude that's euclid twelve seven and ten some writers attribute the proposition euclid twelve two to him but not hippocrates eudoxus also considered certain curves other than the circle but there seems to be no arb authority for the statement which is found in some old books that he studied the properties of the conic sections he discussed some of the plane sections of the anchor ring that is of the solid generated by the revolution of a circle around a straight line lying on its plane but he assumed that the line did not cut the circle a section by a plane through this line consists of two circles if the plane be moved parallel to itself the sections are lemniscates when the plane first touches the surface the section is a figure of eight generally called bernoulli's lemniscate whose equation is r squared equals a squared multiplied by cosine two theta all this is explained at length in books on solid geometry eudoxus applied these curves to explain the apparent progressive and retrograde motions of the planets but we do not know the method he used eudoxus constructed an orrery and wrote a treatise on practical astronomy in which he adopted a hypothesis previously propounded by philolalus 409 bc to 356 bc and supposed a number of moving spheres to which the sun moon and stars were attached and by which their rotation produced uh, the effects observed 
In all he required 27 spheres. As observations became more accurate, subsequent astronomers who accepted his theory had continually to introduce fresh spheres to make the theory agree with the facts. The work of Aratus on astronomy, which was written about 300 BC, is still extant, is founded on that of Eudoxus. Plato and Eudoxus were contemporaries. Among Plato's pupils were the mathematicians Leodemus, Nicolaides, Amyclas, and to their school belonged Leon, Theodius, both of whom wrote textbooks on plane geometry, Kizikenes, Thasus, Hierotimus, Philippus, and Theotetus. Among the pupils of Eudoxus are reckoned Menachemus and his brother Dinostratus, who applied the quadratics to the duplication and trisection problems, and Aristoteus. Menachemus. Of the above-mentioned mathematicians, Menachemus requires special attention. He was born about 375 BC and died about 325 BC. He was a pupil of Eudoxus and probably succeeded him as head of the school at Cyzicus. Menechmus acquired a great reputation as a teacher of geometry and was for that reason appointed one of the tutors to Alexander the Great. In answer to Alexander's request to make his proofs shorter, he made the well-known reply, in the country, sire, there are private and even royal roads, but in geometry there is only one road for all. Menichmus was the first to discuss the conic sections, which were long called the Menechmian triads. He divided them into three classes and investigated their properties, not by taking different plane sections of a fixed cone, but by keeping his plane fixed and cutting it by different cones. He shewed that the section of the right cone by a plane perpendicular to the generator is an ellipse, and if the cone be acute-angled, a parabola, and if it be right-angled, a hyperbola. If it be obtuse-angled, he gave the mechanical construction for curves of each class. It seems almost certain he was acquainted with the fundamental properties of these curves, but some writers think that he failed to connect them with the sections of the cone for which he had discovered and there is no doubt that he regarded the latter not as plain loci but as curves drawn on the surface of a cone he also shewed how these curves could be used in either of the following ways to give a solution of the problem to duplicate a cube in the first of these he pointed out that two parabolas having a common vertex axes at right angles and such that the latus rectum of the one is double that of the other will intersect in another point whose abscissa or ordinate will give a solution for using analysis if the equations of the parabolas be y squared equals two a x and x squared equals a y they intersect in a point whose abscissa is given by x cubed equals 2a cubed. It is probable that this method was suggested by the form in which Hippocrates had cast the problem, namely, to find x and y so that a is to x equals x is to y equals y to 2a, when we have x, x squared equals a y and y squared equals 2ax. The second solution given by Menechmus was as follows. Describe a parabola of latus rectum L. 
Next, describe a rectangular hyperbola, the length of whose, whose real axis is 4L, and having for its asymptotes the tangent at the vertex of the parabola and the axis of the parabola. Then the ordinate and, and abscissa of the point of intersection of the curves are the mean proportionals between L and 2L. This is at once obvious by analysis. The curves are x squared equals L times Y and x times Y equals 2 times L squared. These cut in a point determined by x cubed equals 2 times L cubed and Y cubed equals 4 times L cubed. Hence, L is to X equals X is to Y equals Y is to 2L. Of the other members of these schools, the only mathematicians of first-rate power were Aristeus and Theatetus, whose works are entirely lost. We know, however, that Aristeus wrote on the five regular solids and unconic sections, and that Theatetus developed the theory of incommensurable magnitudes. The only theorem we can now definitely ascribe to the latter is that given by Euclid in the ninth proposition of the tenth book of the Elements namely, that the squares on two commensurable right lines have one to the other a ratio which a square number has to a square number and conversely. But the squares on two incommensurable right lines have one to the other a ratio which cannot be expressed as that of a square number to a square number and conversely. This theorem includes the results given by Theodorus. See above, page 31. The contemporaries or successors of these mathematicians wrote some fresh textbooks on the elements of geometry and the conic sections, introduced problems concerned with finding loci, and efficiently carried out the work commenced by Plato of systematizing the knowledge already acquired. Aristotle An account of the Athenian school would be incomplete if there were no mention of Aristotle, who was born in Stagira in Macedonia in 384 BC and died at Chalcis in Euboea in 322 BC. Aristotle, however deeply interested though he was in natural philosophy, was chiefly concerned with mathematics and mathematical physics as supplying illustrations of correct reasoning. A small book containing a few questions on mechanics, which is sometimes attributed to him, is of doubtful authority. But though in all probability it is due to another writer, it is interesting partly as shewing that the principles of mechanics were beginning to excite attention, and partly as containing the earliest known employment of letters to indicate magnitudes. The most instructive parts of the book are the dynamical proof of the parallelogram of forces for the direction of the resultant, and, statement, and the statement that, if alpha be a force, beta be the mass to which it is applied, gamma the distance through which it is moved, and delta the time of the motion, then alpha will move one-half beta through two gamma in time delta, or through gamma in time one-half delta. But the author goes on to say that it does not follow that one-half alpha will move beta through one-half gamma in time delta, because one-half alpha may not be able to move beta at all. For one hundred men may drag a ship one hundred yards, but it does not follow that one man can drag it one yard. 
the first part of this statement is correct and is equivalent to the statement that an impulse is proportional to the momentum produced, but the second part is wrong. The author also states the fact that what is gained in power is lost in speed, and therefore that two weights which keep a weightless lever in equilibrium are inversely proportional to the arms of the lever. This, he says, is the explanation why it is easier to extract teeth with a pair of pincers than that with the fingers. Among the other questions raised but not answered are why a projectile should ever stop and why carriages with large wheels are easier to move than with small. I ought to add that the book contains some gross blunders and as a whole is not able or suggestive as might be inferred from the above extracts. End of chapter 3